Hey there, sports fan. Welcome to the Draft Site Podcast, your home for all professional sports drafts. Brought to you by DraftSite.com, the original full round mock draft site. Now let's get to the show. So, what's up, everybody? We're here on the, the Draft Site. Uh, DJ got his 43rd pair of uh, Converse today. <laughs> I sure did. I believe uh, they, they call it Elderberry and uh, Auburn. Striped Ooh. Converse should be here in a week. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's exciting. exciting. That's exciting. 43 pairs now. You have one pair of Converse for every three women that I've slept with, so that's pretty amazing. <laughs> <laughs> that might be about 20 for everyone. I've Oh, boy, I just, just burned. Oh, dang. That's what I'm talking about. That's why people tune in, you know, because we got it. We got it. Whatever it is, we got it. We do have an up, updated mock draft, but we are... Uh, at the conclusion of the taping of the show, and we are taping this on Tuesday evening, by Wednesday we will have a fourth round added to the mock. Ooh, so. that fourth round. That fourth round's enticing. I really am interested in third and fourth round, just the third and fourth round of the NFL draft in general, because if you go back and you look at all the talent that's been accumulated in the third, fourth, and fifth round, I mean, it's really uh, – and there's, there's a lot of really, really good players to be found there. Sounds like an idea for a future show. We can just go back and – do like a remock or some past rounds and you know so much is made of yeah. Tom Brady 199th pick but there's there's plenty of people out there and some are even undrafted Antonio Brown was a sixth round pick absolutely and you look at James Harrison the impact he had undrafted player out of Kansas yeah State. undrafted free agent yeah there's yeah, a lot of know. really really great late round draft picks well, we're going to jump right into the fray and we're uh, we're going to hit that mock draft a little bit later but how about we start on the college side because boy was it a topsy turvy week for the fierce 40 lots of lots of upsets big big teams going down showdown saturday as they they uh they called it and uh, lots happening what's the one game that really kind of stood out to you Zach from a uh from a perspective there could be, could have been just a surprise win could have been someone just cementing their status as one of the top teams? Uh, I'd say, even though this isn't, uh, if we talked about it last week and maybe the playoff implications aren't as strong uh, with them, but the fact that Navy just smoked Memphis, you know, but just really owned Memphis, that, that, that was surprising to me. Because after the Ole Miss game, I thought for sure, we were talking about this last week, I said maybe Houston has a shot against Memphis. But other than that, they got a cakewalk of a schedule. And since they beat Ole Miss, and if, if Ole Miss wins out, like, that'd be the only way for them to get into the playoffs. But the fact that Navy, Navy didn't just beat them. Navy, like, Navy pummeled them. Uh, and I can't say that I'm surprised about Nebraska. I told you, watch out for Nebraska, for Iowa. At the end I of the wanted year, to bring that up. By the end of the year, Nebraska is going to be a team that it's going to be, they're going to be firing on all cylinders. And Tommy Armstrong looks very, very good, and I'm really looking forward to that Nebraska-Iowa game. Even though that was, you know, the controversial call at the end of the game, but that's why Michigan State has survived a couple of, wouldn't really say scares, but there's just a couple of games where it just seems they failed to put the other team away. And you do that, and it opens the door for situations like we saw on Saturday happen. And I'm glad you brought up Nebraska, because I know you were very animate about that team and the number of close calls and close losses that they suffered. Uh, I'm not really surprised that Navy won. I'm just surprised that, like you said, the way that they won. I mean, I, I thought Memphis would win, but I thought this would be a very competitive game. And we had Navy 25th. They were actually ranked on our sheet. So uh, moved up to 18 in our poll, moved up seven spots. Memphis actually going down seven. They went the other direction from 15 to 22. But another thing, it's kind of weird. One, now with Navy being a major player, they don't play Army until I believe it's December, like the 10th or 11th. And they've already said if they're still alive for the college playoff, it's going to delay the announcement. You could see like some of those early bowls where we have about a week or so to prepare. That's really going to throw things out of kilter. And the other thing, even though Navy's going for one of those kind of at-large kind of bids in a major bowl, it also helps another team that they're against. This really, really bodes well for Notre Dame. If people remember, that's the only team that Navy's lost to. Yeah, that's easy. And Notre yeah. Dame, quality win as well. To, uh, and, no, and it obviously Temple. shows because Notre Dame's in the playoffs. Absolutely. And, and not to mention, you know, the only loss that they suffered is basically at the hands of Clemson. And you're, and you're talking about the team yeah, that's number one, team. number one right now. So that, that, that win, Notre Dame may actually be even happier than Navy. It really, really bodes well for the Fighting Irish. 
Yes, it does. And it's more surprising to me because I was watching to watch Keenan Reynolds break the, the rushing touchdown record, and he didn't do it. And they dropped over 40 points. That's, like, shocking to me. But, uh, I'm, I mean, I, I have an appreciation for Navy because I've watched them play. I mean, they, they're, uh, they're a quality team. And I, I, was, I really had my eye on that game, and I thought it would be competitive. And I thought I was going out on a limb by saying that Memphis would win, but it would be very, very, very close. But, I mean, Navy just put it to them. Really did put it to them. And I'm not a huge Notre Dame fan, never really have been, but you've got to give it up for – is there a team in the top ten or the upper echelon of sports right now at the college football level that has suffered more major injuries than Notre Dame? Just the fact that they only have one loss on the season. And we're talking about they've had an um, injury at about half of their skill positions. It's unbelievable. I, I think the MVP of this team should be the team trainer when, when you look at it. It's just unbelievable the amount of major injuries Notre keep on winning. I've noticed that a lot of these big schools, Ohio State, Notre Dame, Baylor, that, uh, I mean, they recruit well and they, and they have their system down to a science. So, I mean, it's not like there's going to be a huge drop off when Kaiser comes in or when Cardell Jones comes in or when JC Barrett comes in. So, uh, I mean, that's what a good coach has got to do in college football. And college football is different than the pros. Like, I mean, you, sh- you should have depth across. The, the top teams should have depth for days. You know, there should be, everyone on that team should be uh, on, on these top teams is four star recruits. So, I mean, I'm getting less and less surprised when somebody like Kaiser comes in or, or the kid from Baylor, St- I can't say it, but it was it or I forget his name, comes in and just uh, immediately, I mean, there's no drop-off. There's, so, uh, but yeah, but Notre Dame, I'm, I'm very impressed with Notre Dame, but uh, we'll see. That Notre Dame-Stanford game is looking to be like uh, one of the marquee matchups of the year. And it's not often that I get to talk about my team a lot, I mean, you know, we hear about uh, Michigan there with Jared and yourself with Ohio State. Me being a Tar Heel fan, you know, primarily a basketball school, they lose the opener. The Tar Heels have now run off eight wins in a row, and the fact that you want to talk about a whooping, they not only beat Duke, They're but smacking teams. At, at, it was thirty-eight to ten. Marquise, uh, Marquise Williams had three touchdown passes and four hundred and four yards passing in the first half. That was just. Wow, that was just mind-boggling. The Tar Heels could just do no wrong. It started with an 89-yard touchdown on the very first play of the game on a flea flicker, and they just never looked back. So, I mean, I'm not going to say the Tar Heels have a puncher's chance of, of uh, you know, being in the, the title game or anything of that nature, but I think they've got their, their end sewn up. You never know. They'll, they'll play Clemson. Uh, Again, it, all, all it takes is one good game, just one day to actually beat I don't know. They went out in their first losses against, I mean, Grim, South Carolina doesn't look like a great team, but I think that South Carolina team with their quarterback healthy and with Spurrier thumb at the beginning of the year with, the, you know, the unbridled optimism that South Carolina usually has week one doesn't seem like, I mean, it is a bad loss on paper, but if that's their only loss week one and they went out and they beat Clemson and a few things happened for them and they, and they keep winning like they've been winning, like, Really, really smashing teams. Uh, you know, that's not a team to sleep on to, uh, to sneak its way into the playoffs. I'm, I'm not saying it's plausible, but, you know, it's not impossible. Yeah, normally talking about my team, it's the immense. I mean, North Carolina's had a number of players. Now, last year was kind of an exception. They only had one player drafted. But usually that, that's a school that usually has three or four players drafted. We've seen some first-rounders, some, you know, some, some first, second-day uh, players. There's been a plethora of talent there. They just haven't put it together. So uh, don't, don't I think get it's much a of a chance transition. for Butch Davis had them like, uh, you know, I mean, you want to talk from a talent standpoint. It was that year when Marvin Austin got suspended and Robert Quinn got suspended. They had T.J. Yates, Giovanni Bernard. Like, that team would have made a run. It was just like uh, Ohio State Trestles here before he got fired. Like, they just kind of, the NCAA sanctions were too much for them to overcome. But, like, that was a team, if they could have stayed together, would have done some serious, serious damage. And, and another game to talk about here, of course, we always, the Alabama-LSU showdown, which is always good, but this year didn't provide the drama we were expecting. But, boy, I think Derrick Henry had something to say uh, about the Leonard Fournette talk. And now, I mean, it's going to be released tomorrow as far as our uh, the Heisman the Heisman watch that we do every week. But, Boy, this really throws a wrench into the Heisman race now. you got Leonard Fournette, who only had about 30 yards rushing. What does that do for, for the Heisman? Uh, in your eyes, how, how do you think this goes now? I mean, Fournette really seemed to be kind of the front runner, the only one who I thought really had a chance to hold a candle to him before that game was Travon Boykin, and he also lost as Oklahoma State continues their undefeated march. So 
uh, Heisman ballots have really, really going to – I think we're going to see a big change going into this week, and I think now it's a wide-open race. Uh, yeah, I think right now if, if Derek Henry keeps playing the way he does, it's no matter how good Fournette was at the, at the beginning of the year, you he, he got to give it to Henry over him head-to-head. I mean, Henry just – he came to play. He came to play. I've been saying all year, don't sleep on Zeke. Don't sleep on Zeke Elliott because he quietly had another 100-yard game. Uh, Ohio State's still undefeated. But uh, other than that, because, like, the the injuries, uh, that the injuries, uh, I mean, I really, it, it's, there's really not, like you said, it's a, it's a pretty weak field and, and it's open. I'd say right now, if I had to pick a friend runner, I would say Henry. I'd say Derrick Henry oh, over, over Zeke and uh, Leonard. But, uh, He's definitely there, and I think Fournette I mean, and Boykin can still get in it. But I'm going to throw another name out there, and uh, I'm going to preview this right now. My number one name, he was number five on my list last week. Talking about a guy who's come out of nowhere about four weeks ago. He wasn't on our list, and he's been quietly moving up. I'm giving it to Corey Coleman, the wide receiver of Baylor right now, because – Yeah, yeah, he's on fire. All right, he's got 20 receiving touchdowns, and when they needed him most, when you put in a freshman quarterback, you're without Seth Russell, he goes out and has his best game of the year, 11 catches. I think it was 216 yards, uh, two or three more touchdowns. He's just on pace for a wonderful season right now. Josh Doxson from TCU was was kind of right there with him as well. Uh, they were they were actually five and six in our poll last week, and Doxson also left that game with a with a wrist injury. So, uh, you know that that's another name just because if Baylor can keep winning with that freshman quarterback, I mean, yeah, there, there's some talent there. You're talking about a, a very good quarterback, a blue chipper, but at the same time. You're just talking, looking like a receiver who took it to another level, much like we saw that monster game that Amari Cooper had last year when he kind of made his way to New York, even though he didn't win the award, I think, uh, kind of put him up there with uh, uh, with Melvin Gordon and, and uh, Marcus Mariota and the other top people. I mean, he just dominated that game. It was very reminiscent of that, so... I think it with a couple big, uh, more big games, and, and if Baylor's able to win out, uh, Corey Coleman, you... I think has come out of nowhere and he's going to be a very serious contender as well. But I agree. Derek Henry's probably the front runner in many people's eyes because of what he did head to head against Leonard Fournette. Yeah. And I mean, I agree with you uh, on Coleman because they still have to face the real tough part of their schedule. And uh, if he can keep playing, obviously he's got a good rapport with the new quarterback. Uh, he, he's got to be there. It's just uh, receivers don't win the Heisman. Uh, what, was Tim Brown the last, or Desmond Howard the last receiver? Desmond Howard, 91, I mean, correct. Fitzgerald, he came very, very close. Randy Moss, I mean, granted, he was at Marshall. He got invited. Like you said, Amari Cooper last year got invited, but everyone knew last year it was between Melvin Gordon and Marcus Mariota. But they just don't give the the, the, the award to receivers. But uh, uh, who knows? I was watching Art Browse last night talk with uh, Scott Van Pelt about Coleman. He says, Browse said, like this is verbatim. He says he's a bad man. He's a bad man. And when you take that bad attitude he has, where he thinks he's the best person, and you combine it with his skill set, he'll be very, very difficult to stop. And like I said, they still gotta, they still gotta play TCU in Oklahoma. And if he can put up these 150, 200 yard games against them, I mean, you got to invite him. And like you said, in a very weak class, uh, you got to. I mean, he definitely has to be considered at this point. And uh, yeah, people always say so much about the Heisman and. and... Usually we have a Heisman winner there. You kind of look back, and there's always kind of a, a weak class. But I, I like that you brought up Randy Moss. It was kind of when Marshall made the transition from D1 to uh, from D2 to D1. You look back at that year. Was there ever a better top three? Randy Moss finishes third in the Heisman, but who does he finish behind? Peyton Manning and Charles Woodson. And Charles Woodson, yeah, I remember that. that was, oh, I remember that Heisman like it was yesterday. That was a little kid. Top the top three guys, and, and those are those are all Hall of Famers right there. So what an amazing, yeah, yeah. I believe that's 1997, what an amazing year that was. Yeah. But real quick well, before we get into college tips. And I, and I didn't even know who Randy Muff was before the Heisman. And I remember watching <laughs> that, and I was like, who is this guy? Holy, holy hell. And uh, before we kind of uh, go away from the college uh, kind of game there real quick, uh, just top five, I'm going to give you the top five that we currently have in the, the Fierce 40 um, agreements, disagreements, or, or other teams to look out for. But right now, we currently have our top. We still have Ohio State at number one. I think the the gap is kind of closed a little bit, but but I still don't narrow, know. narrow. Yes, but I mean, you guys keep on when they're doing the college football playoffs. It's really about the body of work this season. 
If Ohio State goes undefeated, it'll be like Florida State last year. There's no way they're not going to be in the top four. That's just impossible for the defending national championship to go undefeated. But, like, it's, it's about the body of work and Clemson's body of work with beating Notre Dame, one of the teams that's in the top four, and Florida State. And then the fact that they just – I know Miami's not that great, but the fact that they got Al Golden fired, they just hammered Miami. I mean, uh, their body of work's more impressive, but, I mean – Who's better than Ohio State? Who's going to be favored over Ohio State, apart from maybe Bama? Yeah, and I would say right now we've got uh, I've got my top five at Ohio State one, Clemson two. I have Oklahoma State up to three, Baylor at four, Alabama at five. So give us your top five, how you see things, Zach. All right, I don't know how you're doing it. If you're doing it based on their body of work, like if you're looking at their resume from this year, or if you're thinking if they actually play, who's going to uh, who's going to win? But for me, I gotta go Ohio State one. I know I'm biased, but I mean I could make a very good argument as to why Ohio State's one. I'm gonna go Bama two, uh, and that's not just me. That's Vegas. If you look at Vegas, Ohio State and Bama have the uh, the the lowest odds to or whatever, like the, the best chance of uh, of winning the championship. I go Clemson three, and then I go Baylor four. I say you can't. All Baylor teams. has not gotten the respect it deserves until until Baylor loses a game. You know that's not like a shootout with TC. You guys, that's the last. This is the only game they've lost the last two years. I did get a little bit of mail because we actually dropped Baylor from four, from two to four in our poll, and it really didn't have as much to do with Baylor's kind of close win against Kansas State. It had to do more with the teams behind them. It's not always just win and you're going to stay there and don't drop. Try to take everything into consideration here, and I think Clemson getting that win, just getting the monkey off its back, and uh, you know they've been known for kind of those those late season collapses, and it just looks like this is a different Clemson team. So, uh, and and with a couple other big games, you got to think maybe even Deshaun Watson uh, gets into the to the high. Yeah, got to invite a quarterback, you know. Absolutely, and 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 Oklahoma State. It's a team that. Didn't really believe in, but by, by this time, you know, knocking off a, a team like TCU now, now I think it's time that, that people kind of take them uh, seriously. But, I mean, they've got a couple big games coming up as well. I still think of the top five that's a team that's going to falter more than any is going to be Oklahoma State. But right now you've got to give them props. That was, a, that was a convincing win against TCU. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And I still – it's uh, people are talking about that. it's definitely going to be a one-loss SEC team that wins it. I have a hard time. I, I appreciate it what Florida's done this year, but, I mean, they're just, I'm talking about just passing the eye test. Assuming they somehow went out, and, uh, I mean, obviously they're going to be in the SEC championship, uh, and somehow they beat Bama, I mean, that's a team that is just, they're not that good. They're really not that good. Good defense, and they've made strides on offense, but but they're they're still not among the, the elite in, in my But And you got to think, it was only a 9-7 victory against Vanderbilt this past week, a team that many thought, uh, that, that game would be over by halftime, and actually at halftime they were losing. It was actually seven to six uh, in Vanderbilt's favor. So far from it. We'll we'll move to the NFL a little bit here. And what kind of sticks out? Again, it just to me it seems to be injuries seem to be the big seems to be the common theme. There's always one big name or, or someone that goes out. It looked like it was going to start with Big Ben going out again. And how about Big Ben? He might actually still play this week. I really really thought the foot was broken. Looking at that uh, initial tackle, it did not look good. But now we get the, the word as well, Andrew Luck out uh, with the lacerated kidney. Uh, it, it just, it's not just quarterbacks, but, you know, being such a glamour position, more is going to be made of the quarterbacks. But injuries, to me, seem to be playing a big, real, real big part in, in this year and in, in the standings and the way things are shaping up. Hey, I mean, it's absolutely huge. Uh, I'm, I'm glad that the Steelers got Landry Jones playing quarterback now because they have way too many playmakers at wide receiver for, for them to have a Vic at QB. Vic's probably better QB when you have a bunch of, uh, you know, middle of the road receivers and you need to make something happen. But I mean, Landry Jones obviously with Martavius Bryant put up serious numbers. And I mean, you have a rooting for, I'm not happy that Andrew Luck's hurt, obviously, but I, uh, I really am excited about this AFC, AFC South. You know, what's gonna, what's gonna happen? I love the fact that the Jaguars are still in it, the Texans are still in it, that the Titans are still in it. Uh, And it makes it worth watching every single AFC South game. Uh, I I mean, I'll keep my eyes peeled on everyone in that division. And uh, it's going to make it very, very, very interesting. And 
I think Hasselbeck has the ability to uh, to uh, keep them in the race, but I mean, I would love to see somebody like Jacksonville sneak in. But just uh, yeah, a new team. So, uh, but like injuries, like you said, injuries have been crazy. This year. just, I mean, Jamal Charles, Le'Veon Bell, Steve Smith, Roethlisberger again, Andrew Luck again. And also, it's good that you bring up Jacksonville. I know you were you were pretty critical about Blake Bortles uh, last year. He has improved. Has yeah. he improved enough to really kind of lead that team? Or, or where do you think the onus falls with, with Blake Bortles on that Jacksonville team right now, which I think a lot of people are sleeping on. I still I don't think they're going to win that division, but they are going in the right direction. They are. They are. I'll admit, I'm not going to say I was wrong because I still think Blake Bortles is – he's been quietly much, much better this year. And Allen Robinson and Allen Ernst have really uh, – have really stepped up the plate. And like last year, they were missing that running back. They were missing, I mean, they had Denard Robinson, Toby Gerhardt running the ball. Uh, getting T.J. Eldon has been really, really big for them. I thought last year they should have gotten uh, Jeremy Hill or Carlos Hyde instead of Marquise Lee. But when Marquise Lee gets back on the field, I mean, I would definitely like the direction they're going. Bortles looks better, uh, a, a lot better. He still does some things that uh, he still makes those big mistakes. But uh, as of right now, I guess I'll put my foot in my mouth because – if you look at the progression he's made, uh, I mean, it looks good. It's got to be encouraging. And they're a two-win team, but uh, it's probably the most optimistic two-win team in my lifetime because they got a shot. they got a legit shot at the AFC South. I would have to say so. I think uh, they and the Ravens, who, you know, they, they boasted that they're going to win out. I don't think they're going to be that good, especially after the Steve Smith injury. But the Ravens are far from a two-and-six club as well. And I think that Blake Bortles has a long way to go, but you look at him, and that is quarterback is no longer, I say, the biggest need in Jacksonville. It's not the big glaring weakness. Again, there's room for growth, but uh, obviously losing Dante Fowler, I I think his Jaguar career has lasted about 25 minutes, I think it was, before he went down with the ACL in the very first day of camp. That was very unfortunate, picking third and and getting a a specific need, that, that rusher off the edge which Jacksonville's been doing, they last year they've actually gotten better at getting to the quarterback and creating pressure, but it's been from a number of different players. I think they still need that one stud, that one guy that opposing offenses really have to scheme against and change kind of their blocking style, and that's what Jacksonville was really hoping for on a Fowler, and to lose him, again, just minutes into his uh, into his pro career was, was very disheartening, so... Uh, and you got to think, Allen Robinson was was playing very well last year before he went out with his season-ending uh, injury. So things I think are looking up there. But uh, overall, they've lost a lot of really close games, still. They have, and 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 so many uh, so many unbeaten teams still around. Uh, it might be a while before these uh, seventy-two Dolphins are popping the corks off their champagne this year. It's uh, with <clears throat> who do you think really makes the deepest run? as far as staying unbeaten. I mean, I think right now, for me, it's still New England, but, I mean, who would have thought right now that at this point the Bengals and the Panthers would still be undefeated? That's uh, that's some big news right now. Yeah, and the Panthers don't look like they're losing any time soon. <clears throat> the Bengals, uh, I mean, and, and honestly, it doesn't surprise me that they're undefeated uh, because they always, they always seem to start hot. But, uh, I mean, I, don't, I really don't see who's going to be the Patriots. I think there is a very good chance, and I think even if you were betting, it would almost be even odds whether they go finish the regular season undefeated or not. Um, losing Deion Lewis, is, it's rough. Uh, he was really, really a unique player that really was just really a perfect fit for their offense. Uh, I thought they should have never gotten rid of Danny Woodhead. I was thinking about that last night watching Woodhead play. If Woodhead was still with Brady. But with Rivers, it, it really isn't bad. But, uh, I mean, this is a team that's like, I mean, they're firing in all cylinders. Every, I mean, they're playing well in every pass of the game. I, I would almost be surprised if they lose the game, but I'd still say, I'd say 15 wins would probably be the over-under for them. But, uh, I mean, the yeah, Panthers I, are the team that's really surprised me. They look, they look, I mean, they look, it's going to be tough to beat the Panthers. And right now, I'd have to say Josh Norman, uh, to me, he's the defensive player of the year in the NFL. He's become an absolute shutdown corner. But the other big news as far as with the uh, – with the Patriots, it's, it's big news with, with Deion Lewis going down. I don't think it's quite the same fit, but you want to talk about someone who may have just kind of fallen into something. We saw it with LeGarrette Blunt and what happened after the – he was cut by the Patriots, comes back, and 
really is was one of the driving factors in, in the Super Bowl run and, and, and doing that late. Going back to your team and a guy that hadn't panned out and was actually released, Dre Archer, a third-round pick. I put up the, you know, the 4-2-6 in the combine, and everybody lost their mind and thought he was the next Eric Dickerson. But uh, he's actually turned down a number of offers from other clubs, There was, uh, including the Steelers, to actually pick them up, put him on a practice squad. Now there's word apparently he's going to New England for a workout tomorrow. So for Ed Archer, and again, not the greatest running back, but you think about a guy with his skill set and his speed and, and where you can line him up. That would be interesting if he actually goes to the Patriots. It would be interesting to see how he would kind of fit into that offense. That would be, to me, to me that's a little, little tantalizing. I, I don't think it's really star quality, but it's someone you would have to account for, especially with you know, Tom Brady, quarterback. I'm not sure about his hands, but, I mean, Brady makes a lot of players really, really good. Just look at, uh, I mean, Deion Lewis is a perfect example. I mean, Deion Lewis is a guy that's fighting, fighting to make a lineup. And if he plays the rest of the year, he's, he's, a, he's probably a pro bowler in the AFC. Absolutely. So I think with, with kind of the, the remaining time, if you'd like, we could go over at least the first round of this mock. And if there's anyone yeah, that kind of stands out for you or, or maybe some other areas where you think maybe the team could have uh, looked. And yeah, right red, now with Sorry, the, I'd say the red pepper. Somebody just handed me red pepper and I ate it. And it oh is boy. burning me. Like crazy. <laughs> Shouldn't have done that. Note self, don't uh, when you're talking on the phone or a, a podcast, eat a red pepper. <laughs> Duly noted. Well, we're going to look here, but right now with the order, spot on as far as where they actually sit right now. It's a combination of where uh, these teams actually sit at the moment and kind of where we think they're going to end up. Uh, the only teams that are in, in order or in a, in a specific spot is the, tw- is the uh, picks 21 from 32 um, are comprised in here of the teams that are currently in the playoffs. So just want to preface that for everybody. But in round one, we currently have Detroit with the top pick, and that's actually where they would fit right now. But Laramie Tunsil, the offensive tackle out of Mississippi, I think it's quite clear that Riley Reif is more of a right tackle than a left tackle prospect. So I think not a bad lineman overall, but I, I, I just think he's a little bit out of sorts, and he's more kind of suited as a right tackle or maybe even a left guard at the NFL level. Uh, so giving you the top five, we'll kind of do a couple picks at a time and, and let me know where you, about uh, how you think where the teams stack up and the players. I've got Cleveland at number two with Joey Bosa, the defensive end out of Ohio State. Jacksonville picking at three again just morely because of the division, but Vernon Hargraves the third, the corner out of Florida. And I do want to say that all top five picks – or underclassmen, they will have to declare. I have Tennessee currently at four with Jalen Ramsey, a safety-slash-corner out of Florida State, and Robert Namichi, defensive end-slash-defensive tackle out of Mississippi. More of a defensive tackle, but I have him going to the Chargers at number five. They would probably use him as a defensive end. And that's another thing I want to touch upon. I think last night that could have been the death of the San Diego franchise in San Diego. I think it's becoming more and more apparent that if there's ever a time for a team to leave and go to Los Angeles, unfortunately for Charger fans, it's probably now in that franchise. Your thoughts on the top five picks and maybe some of the teams that are there? Um, I have no problem putting Detroit one. Um, I think Bosa would be a nice player for them because, obviously, they're, they're, they're missing in Dominican Sioux and a presence in the center. I love, I absolutely love Hargraves, not to skip Cleveland, but I love Hargraves to Jacksonville, uh, to, to bring him back into the fold with Dante Fowler and to have Fowler back next year with a shutdown corner. I mean, that's, that's a, that's a combination that, that Andrew Luck would not be happy about. And like I've been saying all along in these podcasts, I mean, I really think Har- Hargraves is an elite player. Um, assuming Bosa slips, I mean, uh, I mean, he's not from Ohio, he's from Florida. But, um, I'm not going to argue with any team getting Joey Bosa a disruptive guy that's really versatile. He's like a better version of John Simon, who was at Ohio State, that you could really almost line up anywhere. I'll never argue with that. Um, I really, really also like Jalen Ramsey. I'll never argue with a corner in a passing league. I like Jalen Ramsey to the, uh, the Titans, but who is the fifth team? Who is it? I didn't hear that you actually said the team. Uh, the fifth team is actually the Chargers with Robert Namichi. The Chargers are really, really in desperate need of a wide receiver. I'm not sure if there's a wide receiver worth taking five overall, but uh, 
I mean, it's going to be something they have to address. I mean, Malcolm Floyd might have played his last game last. I don't know what his injury was last night. Stevie Johnson is a three receiver. uh, And Keenan Allen will be back. But uh, a a receiver is definitely something they could use. And, uh, I mean, but, like, again, I'll never – you'll never hear me argue with a really, really good corner or an exceptional pass rusher. So I have no problem with them getting them Dicci. We'll go six to ten right now. Currently at six and six and seven. We have the first two. We have the quarterbacks going off the board. Six with the San Francisco 49ers with Paxton Lynch out of Memphis. Seven with the Houston Texans with Connor Cook from Michigan State. First wide receiver off the board at eight, Laquan Treadwell out of Mississippi, and that gives Ole Miss three picks in the top ten. Going to the Redskins at eight. I have the Chiefs at number nine with Ronnie Stanley, the offensive tackle out of Notre Dame. And the Dallas Cowboys at number 10 with Jalen Smith, the linebacker, also from Notre Dame. Anything that stands out with those picks? Um, I love both the Notre Dame prospects. Uh, I would almost uh, uh, take Stanley over uh, Tunsil. But um, uh, I like everything that you said. I think uh, uh, Treadwell will also be the first first, uh, receiver off the board. Um, I mean, I'm not crazy about the one that I'm not really crazy about that stuck out to me is just disaster. Is is uh, Paxton Lynch going to uh, going to San Francisco? Um, I I'm trying to think how I how I would personally rebuild uh, the 49ers, but I I wouldn't start with a quarterback unless I absolutely loved him, and I still like golf more than Paxton Lynch. I have no problem with uh, drafting a quarterback, but it's got to be the right one. I'm not sure. I, I think people are a little too high on Paxton Lynch, and uh, I'm interested to see where uh, both the Buckeye quarterbacks go, because those are two quarterbacks. Don't sleep on uh, J.T. Barrett, because J.T. Barrett can, could be like a Russell Wilson. I'm not saying he's going to be drafted high, uh, but I'm saying uh, Paxton Lynch to me just, uh, you know, he doesn't, uh, I don't think he warrants it. I don't think San Francisco spot for the right spot for him. I think San Francisco is Jared Goff. He, he just seems like a 49er. And also, it's good to point out, uh, we talked about how those late picks pan out. Russell Wilson, third-round pick, so you don't necessarily have to go in the first round to get that franchise quarterback. So we'll go but it helps, but it helps. If you go over all the franchise quarterbacks in the league, <laughs> I mean, that's really the one position where you can only, uh, you can only uh, really, um, I mean, the majority of the really elite players are first-round picks. I mean, you go through them all. I mean, other than Russell Wilson, uh, don't don't you dare throw Kaepernick or Nick Foles or anything in there. But I mean, for the most part, other than uh, Brady too. Obviously, don't forget about Brady and Breeze. Was people are like, oh, people overlook Breeze. Breeze was like one of the first picks of the second round. He might have been the yeah. first pick of the second round. So he's like a de facto first rounder. Yeah. So uh, I mean, but then when you look at Eli Ben, Philip Rivers, Andrew Luck, Cam Newton, for the most part, you find quarterbacks at the top of the draft. There's only there's really only a handful that uh, end up panning out. Like Brady is such an amazing story. Uh, I mean, but other than that, and then you have Russell Wilson, who who might be a tad bit overrated. But I mean, quarterbacks uh, not really a position that you're going to find in the third round. You can go all day running backs and, and receivers in the third round and, and pass. There there are those but there cor- are those exceptions, and the one we'll throw out there, the undrafted quarterback, even though he set all kinds of records at Eastern Illinois. Tony Romo was a guy that went undrafted. Yeah, Tony Romo. Yeah, there's a few yeah, of them out that's there. That's true. We'll go if it wasn't for Tony Romo, uh, Jimmy Garoppolo probably would have been a six-round pick. <laughs> and what a lot of people don't realize is, uh, this is a little trivia question if you get this, um, you know, Tony Romo pretty much set every quarterback record under the sun at Eastern Illinois. Um, Sean Payton? The man who's – Sean Payton, absolutely. And and wasn't the only quarterback uh, – well, Eastern Michigan as well had, you know uh, – Did Mike Shanahan uh, go there? I don't know. Um, also, Somebody um, else wants Mariucci. So uh, there, there's also uh, Mariucci. a number of people who have been through there. But at 11, we're going to go with the Chicago Bears. And a guy that I really like, and you're talking about a shutdown corner, the only guy who I think kind of flies in the radar is <laughs> Desmond King, the corner out of Iowa. Oh, no. Doing a fan job. I have him at 11 going to Chicago. Uh, 12, going back to Ohio State, I have Taylor Decker going to the Dolphins who need all kinds of help along the line. Miles Jack uh, from uh, UCLA, who we can all, all already put on the board. He's already declared for the draft, being, <laughs> being out for the year. Uh, but have him going to the Ravens at 13. Uh, Buffalo at 14 with Spencer Drongo, the offensive tackle out of Baylor. 
And at 15, Tampa Bay with Vidal Alexander, who I think is more of a guard. He played guard. He's playing tackle predominantly this year for LSU, but I think he's probably the first guard off the board. Uh, anything that stands out for you? Um, well, we'll just throw 16 there so we, we have the top half of the draft. I Philadelphia at 16 with LaRaven Clark, the offensive tackle out of Texas Tech, uh, with as many problems as the Eagles have. I really think um, Jason Peters is kind of coming to the end of the end of the line there. So I think getting the replacement for Jason Peters in a year or two is probably something that's high on the list for the Eagles. I have no problem with any of those picks. Uh, I'm especially excited for the Bears pick. Uh, I'm not sure is is, is Fuller is he can, can he declare? I, I don't know if he's a, a sophomore or a junior. Uh, he he is a junior. He can declare. I think. Uh, just, yeah, that makes too much sense for me if he's there. Not to pass. Rest him this year. He's hurt. Uh, to match him with his brother, the Bears are a team that I think next year. Uh, uh, I mean, watching them last night. I wasn't just watching them last night. I knew that they were going to be patient because their their trinity of head coaches. You could argue might be the best with Fox. Case Case will probably be gone next year in Vic Fangio. But, I mean, I really like what they got. The defense uh, is getting seasoned. They don't really have that playmaker, maybe Prinell McPhee. Uh, but the defense is going to be a pretty seasoned young unit next year. And assuming they keep Cutler, and Cutler looked pretty comfortable last night to have Langford and Forte, then Kevin White coming back with Alshon Jeffrey. And like I said, the good coaching, that's a team I'm really going to keep a close eye on. And I think why not match uh, have the Fuller brothers on the outside? That'd be, uh, I mean, that would work on, uh, on, on multiple levels. And you have them taking a all I can anyway. say, All I can say is great minds think alike because in round two, because of his injuries falling, I have Fuller going to the Bears in the second round. Beautiful. So great minds think alike. Um, we're going to do real quick the other four teams that are currently on the outside of the playoffs. Um, I have the New Orleans Saints. With Cody Whitehair, another player, much like Vidal Alexander, who is, I think, a guard at the next level that's currently an offensive tackle at Kansas State. I think New Orleans has the probably the worst offensive line uh, as far as starters and depth in the NFL, so I think getting someone along the line there, um, whether he plays tackle or guard. At 18, the Oakland Raiders with Kavari Russell, another uh, very good corner out of Notre Dame. St. Louis, we talked about him earlier, being my Heisman guy. Corey Coleman, the wide receiver out of Baylor, going to the Rams. And at 20, Seattle, with another Baylor pick, Andrew Billings, the defensive tackle, uh, going to Seattle at 20. i got no problem with any of those. Uh, I have a feeling the Saints were going to address the offensive line, too. And you can tell they're kind of making a shift to try to be like more like one of those teams that – and you can talk about the teams that air it out, you know, like, the, like the Colts and the Saints, but like that, they're never in the Super Bowl. It's a team that, that perform well in the trench like this year, the Panthers, the, the Patriots who always play well in the trenches, Seattle. And uh, the Saints obviously started to realize that, trading away uh, Jimmy Graham, getting Max Hunger in return, drafting Pete with a first-round first, first pick this year. I got no problem with this. I did not realize that Coleman, for some reason in my head, I thought Coleman was a true sophomore. So I would almost put him higher than Treadwell because he has like, that Steve Smith attitude that uh, I feel like a lot of the top receivers don't have. A lot of the top receivers to me are – a little more outside of maybe Larry Fitzgerald coming out. But, uh, I mean, I, I like him a lot. And I think there's, a, there's not a team in the NFL that wouldn't want to uh, get their hands on him. Yeah, I think the, the potential's there. I think the only thing that's really going to be detrimental with him is he's really not asked to run a variety of patterns uh, at Baylor and the blocking. Um, they don't do a lot of running behind him, and we see more and more wide receivers being asked to block at the NFL level. But if he proves he can do that, we're talking about a potential top-five pick. I agree wholeheartedly. I think Treadwell's the more complete player on film right now. It's not that Coleman can't do it. I just don't think in that offense there's a lot that he's not asked to do that some of the other receivers and some other, I'd say, more pro-friendly offenses are. So I think yeah, his work I heard Bryles talking about be. him last night. He kept talking about how mean this kid was and how competitive he was. And uh, I know that he hasn't asked to block, but I think uh, – when teams get him in the interview room and they, and they find out if he's willing enough to do it, I feel like he's going to be definitely more than willing to do it. Obviously, exactly. they don't ask him to block because he's probably the most prolific receiver in college football right now. So, I mean, they're and not going to have him block able much. To, to run more of those uh, those crossing routes and kind of going across the middle by kind of running fly patterns and being the real deep threat for Baylor, I think if he's able to really show that, he his stock is going to go up. So he could be a guy that is, is thought of as, as – possibly being the top pick at his position, and I think will not hesitate to work out at the combine and do more because I think it's just going to be just 
overall just a lot better for his draft position. But real quickly, we're going to break up the, the last uh, segment for the, uh, the the remaining teams that are currently in the playoffs right now. And then I just kind of we just kind of rank them as to where they think. But the, these 21 through 32 are the teams that are currently in the playoffs. We'll break it into two. 21, we have the New York Giants with Emmanuel Ogba, the defensive end out of Oklahoma State. Uh, 22, Minnesota, the fourth pick from Baylor. And if this guy came out last year, he probably would have been their top pick. Sean Oakman, the very, you know, the six foot eight defensive end from Minnesota. At 23, I think a person you would like. Uh, running back going to the Colts, Ezekiel Elliott. I think with uh, the running game there and, you know, they've got Frank Gore, that getting a, a, a player of Ezekiel Elliott's talent would, would fit right in. Reggie Raglan, the inside linebacker, going from Alabama, going to the Jets at 24. So we'll see how you feel about the Steelers pick here. We've got the Steelers at 25. We've got Jeremy Cash, the safety out of Duke, going to Pittsburgh. And at 26, another player you'd probably like, the Atlanta Falcons, drafting Michael Thomas, the wide receiver out of Ohio State, who I think it makes sense. I think they're, they're going to be looking for the eventual replacement for Roddy White there in Atlanta. Uh, I like a lot of those. I like a lot of those. I have no problem with Jeremy Cash. Does any, really anybody in the secondary I don't have a problem with? I'm very familiar with Jeremy Cash because he was the top recruit for Ohio State one year. So it's not like, uh, you know, he came out of nowhere. I mean, he's an m- absolute monster and runs the part. At the college game, he looks like Cam Chancellor. I mean, he's, he's, he's a man. I love Raglan to the Jets because he just, he just seems like a Jet. Uh, I, 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 I never saw one. Yeah. I mean, that, that's a Todd Bullis pick. That's a, that's a Cincinnati Bengals pick. That's a Pittsburgh Steeler pick. You know, the big school guys. I've noticed Tomlin's been kind of, and the Bengals have always been doing it. You know, picking up those those big school players and the Ravens too. The whole AFC North really makes a living on these big time SEC players with a lot of uh, with a lot of experience. So I mean, I really like I really like him to the Jets. Uh, and like I said, I don't have a problem with Cash. And I, I love Zeke, and I think people don't realize how good Ezekiel is as a blocker. He's a ferocious blocker. He's got really really good hands out of the backfield. He's probably the best second level runner in college football. And uh, I I I think twenty three is too. Too high for him to be drafted, or too low for him to be drafted. But uh, the Colts, I mean, he would be he would be a perfect fit. He re- he really would. And we'll do the backside here. Arizona, twenty-seven, to actually take it. They're they're in dire need of center, taking the first center off the board. Even though he has went down with an injury, Max Turk, the center out of USC, uh, still feel that he's going to be drafted highly. Shouldn't impact his play for next year. But going to Arizona, twenty-eight, Green Bay, uh, the Green Bay Packers with Kenny Clark the defensive tackle out of UCLA. Cincinnati needing some more receiver help, even though he went out with that wrist injury, doesn't look to be um, too problematic. But Josh Doxson, the wide receiver out of TCU, going to Cincinnati. At 30, Denver, we've got a non-Division one player going here, offensive tackle Joe Haig out of North Dakota State. And I've talked so much about Carson Wentz, the, the quarterback I like there, and the, uh, the broken wrist that he suffered. But Joe Haig, he's a guy that uh, going into the season, I had him as the top um, non-Division One player. I had him as a second-round pick. I've got him sneaking in the first round here at 30. Uh, Carolina picking at 31 with Jack Conklin, uh, the monster offensive tackle out of Michigan State. And we've got New England at 32, but unfortunately that says forfeit right now because of uh, everything that happened with the Flategate. So we'll just give you the top pick of round two, just to give you that, that last uh, teaser to start off the second round where we do have Detroit, where I have Kentrell Brothers, the excellent inside linebacker from Missouri. Uh, I, I like all those. I like all those. I'm not crazy about the, uh, the Bengals selection. Cause I think the Bengals, uh, in terms of weapons, that's one of the last things they, they need, especially weapons from the passing game. You've got Eifert, who's essentially a receiver. Marvin Jones, Mohamed Sanu, A.J. Green, and then Gio Bernard catching the ball in the backfield. I think there's other things they can do. And I'm telling you, the Ravens and the Steelers and the Bengals just love their, their linebackers from the SEC. So that's somebody like if Raglan's around or somebody that they, they believe is a fit. Uh, just watch. It's going to be a big-time SEC player. And if it's not a big-time SEC player, it'll be, it'll be an offensive lineman from the Big Ten. So just those Conklin, five maybe. players in, in round two, just to give everyone a taste. Of course, we have Kentrell Brothers going to Detroit. Cleveland, we have – I love Kentrell um, Brothers. Actually, the other pick that I actually um, had it down between – for uh, uh, Cincinnati, actually falls to Cleveland at 33. Shalikwe Calhoun, the defensive end out of Michigan State. I have Jacksonville with Nick Martin, the center out of Notre Dame. Tennessee Titans at 35 with Derrick Henry from Alabama. And Tredavious White, the cornerback from LSU, going to San Diego at 36. Those being the first five picks of round two. 
I'm glad you mentioned him because I was very curious where you had uh, where you had Derrick Henry going. She's a very very intriguing prospect. Um, and then uh, what other? You just mentioned two other players that just have that, that had Cincinnati Bengals written all over them. I'm sorry. Which oh, we had Salikwe Calhoun or Tredavious White. The uh, oh Calhoun, Calhoun, and uh, the guy from Notre Dame. Martin. Nick Martin. Yeah, those. I mean, those guys just scream Cincinnati. The way they've drafted, I obviously keep a very close eye on the way Cincinnati drafts. But those guys both scream Cincinnati. And I had a, a lot of people for because for the longest time, I've actually for the for the last couple of mocks, I've had Derrick Henry going at the end of round one to Carolina, and a lot of people talking about, oh, Carolina's got some other needs. Jonathan Stewart's not exactly, you know, a, a young spring chicken. Young. I think that they would. Get, get another, you know, just good back there. I think, you know, you got to like what Fozzie Whitaker's done, but kind of more of a third-down specialist. Uh, I think you put a, a guy like Derrick Henry there in a, in a team with Carolina, that's uh, just a team that just seems to be redefining itself as a real smash-mouth football team under Ron Rivera. That makes a lot of sense, too. But Tennessee, it hasn't worked out with Bishop Sankey. So uh, a running back that I was really high on. So at some point, you gotta you got you to think that the Titans are kind of cutting ties there. There's more and more action actually going to Antonio Andrews out of Western Kentucky, who was a very good quarterback in this draft, Brandon Dowdy. Don't sleep on that name. That's one of those guys that you can get cheap uh, from some of the small schools. Brandon Dowdy's a guy that can really, really sling it and uh, has a sixth year of eligibility this year and is actually second in pass yards behind Matt Johnson of Bowling Green. So uh, a guy to, to really watch out for. But And and just uh, other, other picks of note, the next quarterback off the board I actually have is the 10th pick in round two. Christian Hackenberg going to the Dallas Cowboys as the heir apparent. That's cute. That's cute. A year or two to Tony Romo. That's really, really cute because if Hackenberg is drafted by anybody, I, I will immediately laugh at them. He's a joke. I, I've been calling him <laughs> Christian Wackenberg since he, since really since since his sophomore year. He's just he's so rare. I know Penn State's a two-loss team right now, but I mean Hackenberg. It's over. It's just that he looks so good. He looks like a quarterback. He's big. Uh, everything about him just screams that he should be good. But I mean, he's straight garbage. And I would love, like you were talking about, uh, I love the idea of late in the first round because it's a great place to grab a running back. The Carolina Panthers getting a running back, and if somehow they could get Zeke, I'm telling you, Zeke is the perfect running back for Carolina because he runs the ball a lot out of shotgun, which which Carolina does. But also, I have no problem with Derrick Henry because, like you said, Jonathan Stewart isn't getting any younger, and uh, I mean. They really don't have depth at the position. And I think uh, another running back that people really got to look out for is D.J. Foster. And even though he's playing wide receiver this year for Arizona State, this is a guy who just is caught. Uh, he had uh, it was about 1,300 yards rushing last year and close to 800 yards receiving. Uh, he's such a good receiver with the injuries that Arizona State suffered and, and Jalen Strong actually leaving for the pros a year early. Uh, they moved him to wide receiver, and he's performing well. He's one of those guys that is kind of Derek, uh, Dexter McCluster times, times two. Where do you put him? He could actually fit, depending on the team, whether he's going to be a running back or a wide receiver. I think because of that versatility, he's a guy that could possibly sneak into the end of that first round just because you know, he's not a household name, but there may not he's be. A pretty, he's a fairly household name, uh, like you said. Cause he's, it's not like he's, he's not accumulating stats. Don't forget about Devontae Booker, though. Because this is a guy that has got hands out of the backfield. Have him uh, toward the later latter stages of round two as well. But for some of those other picks, guys, you're going to have to go to the site. And again, right now it's three rounds deep, but a fourth round uh, is actually being finalized right now. And by tomorrow, it is going to be live. So, um, any parting thoughts before we end before we end this call? The draft or wherever you want to go with this, Zach, you've got the floor. What is a Super Bowl, a plausible Super Bowl that you would like to see this year? I think. If somehow Cincinnati, they're, they're a team that honestly, well, I mean, somehow they're undefeated. This, you know, it's not like, uh, I mean, this is know, the team that I thought like would Saint blow up. You know? But since, what, what does the NFL do if Super Bowl 50 turns out to be Cincinnati versus Carolina? You're talking about two small markets. I was, I, I was swear to God, I was thinking that earlier today. I was in the power rankings. So I'm a nerd. I think about color contrast. Uh, because uh, there's nothing worse than a, a Super Bowl where it's like Packers, Steelers, and both teams are wearing yellow pants. It just doesn't look beautiful on the screen. <laughs> but I was thinking that the orange versus the teal, both wearing black, that's a great color contrast, and that's two teams I'd really, really, I wouldn't mind seeing uh, at all. It's funny that you mentioned that. But would the NFL be rolling just just doing everything that it could? Conspiracy theorists probably out there thinking the officials would try everything in their power to make sure that wouldn't happen. 
Um, I'm sure many theories would be out there on that one, but boy, you'd have to think that the NFL would not be very excited if that was actually the uh, the, the matchup. But you know, I love parody, and then that would just be something where you know you've got a, a 50th, you know, such a a monumental. A milestone for the big game there. I, that, that would just be something if we saw the Bengals and the and the uh, the Panthers uh, who have three. No, I would have no problem with that no Super Bowl. Way. I like that Super Bowl. I like everything about that Super Bowl. I don't think the NFL would be mad. I think the Super Bowl is such a spectacle that and and, and football fans are just all other sports. Any other sports? Maybe it's because of fantasy football. They just like uh, they really. It's not like when they're in soccer where their team's eliminated and they they riot and. Uh, yeah, they appreciate good players, and as long as like somebody like the Rams doesn't get in, because you're not going to want Nick Foles, you're not going to want to be doing a bunch of interviews with Nick Foles, because I'm mentioning the Rams, because that's team not to sleep on. But, uh, I mean, I like the quarterback contrast between, because that's a storyline right there, Cam Newton versus Andy Dalton. In terms of aesthetics, they're about polar opposite. <laughs> but uh, I think we're due for, I think we're really, really due for a, uh, a Packers-Patriots Super Bowl. Yeah, and the Packers have lost you know, a couple, been, and... and... And what do we think there is, uh, this, with the running game and Eddie Lacy not uh, putting things together this year? And there's been a couple injuries there, and Aaron Rodgers suddenly looking human. If, if you're in Green Bay, is, it, is are you in panic mode at this time, or are you just this is just a little bump in the road? Uh, not a bump in the road. I, I mean, losing two in a row is, is rare for Aaron Rodgers, but when you lose two in a row to Denver and, and Carolina, I mean, you really, I mean, that's not the worst thing in the world. And, and, they, and they had a really, really strong showing the second half against Carolina. So I'm not really deterred uh, in terms of putting the Packers in, in the top five. Uh, they're going to be sweating a little bit, though, because uh, the division's not a cakewalk with Minnesota. I mean, Minnesota is right there. Uh, but, um, I mean, I also wouldn't mind seeing uh, a Peyton play one more Super Bowl. So I have a feeling this will be his last year. Broncos Super Bowl versus anybody would be would be nice. But I mean, I I, I don't understand what you're saying about oh the NFL doesn't want Carolina, Cincinnati. Any Super Bowl is good. I think that I think that's a good Super Bowl. It's a refreshing Super Bowl. I, I think the one, if I really had to dream, and what would just blow people away is if the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are able to get a couple wins together and get that wild card. Tennessee gets hot and they get a. They win a very, very weak AFC South, and somehow how the top two picks, Marcus Mariota versus James Winston in the Super Bowl. To that, me, that that's a pipe dream. That's, that's pipe. It's ultimate. not really a pipe dream. I mean, I'm saying to, for the Titans to make the playoffs. I mean, uh, that's not really a pipe dream. But you've got to think for Tampa Bay to really string games together. They're going to have to overtake the, a wild card spot from the Vikings, the Saints, the Eagles, and who am I forgetting? I'm definitely forgetting one more. Probably the Falcons. Uh, oh, Rams. Rams, too. Yeah. Yeah, Rams, Falcons. Like, it, it, it's unlikely. That's, that's all. But you know what? Tennessee, that's not impossible. That division, and with, with luck out, and, uh, I mean, that game was very entertaining against the Saints, and uh, I still don't think Mariota is as good as Winston. I'll take Winston over Mariota any day of the week. Uh, I'll take I'm with Winston you on that Bortles one. Any day of the week, I'll take Winston over Bortles. I, if we're really just shooting out pipe dreams right here, uh, you know, it wouldn't be nice. It would be nice to see Jaguars, Panthers, the two expansion teams <laughs> from '96. From '96, that'd be cool. That was the Madden Super Bowl in Madden '96 when you had to put the code in. And they were the two best teams. <laughs> oh wow! But that was and, uh, Super somehow, Bowl their second year in the league. They both made the conference championship in '97, I believe. They did, and uh, we, you know, honorary coin flips from the quarterbacks, Mark Brunel and Kerry Collins. So. uh that would be something. And I don't know if you knew that Kerry Collins you know, is Collins from, is my, not the quarterback from my hometown, Lebanon, Pennsylvania. Kerry Collins, he's actually one of two people that hit a home run off me in Little League. He was one year ahead of me in school. Really, really? He was probably pulling a Mickey Mantle drunk before. <laughs> but I know Kerry. But I know Kerry. He's having a few. He was having a few But who, I'm blanking on the name of the quarterback. He was not the quarterback when they went to the AFC Championship. I mean, the NFC Championship. What's his name? Burline? Burline. Steve Burline. Yeah, Steve Berline. Yeah, Steve Berline, he was there. I do remember because I won my fantasy league that year because Berline, I drafted him late as my backup quarterback. My starter was Vinny Testaverde, who was doing, and he had that's when he had the Achilles Achilles tear in week one. Quarterback, my uh, fantasy yeah, football. Yeah, that's winning funny because I would have was there a notepad? I didn't know they had fantasy football in nineteen ninety seven. Yeah, we're, we're going back on a, on a, on a chalkboard. <laughs> I'm showing my age here. I'm definitely showing my age. Yeah, was Terrell Davis your first round pick? (laughs) (laughs) 
Oh, I'm trying to. That's I believe my. Pick. He's a six round pick too. I believe the and the other guy that had a great year that, that had over 1,400 yards rushing. I believe I rode Garrison Hurst when he was in uh, had the monster year. San Francisco one where he had the the long 90 yard touchdown run in overtime. Garrison Hurst has had a monster year. He was my he was he was my big running back that year. Another Georgia back, if I remember correctly. You know, we were talking about Earl Davis. I actually, it's, I think it's funny my, to talk uh, about that. It's like those are great memories from childhood for me. You know, uh, those, oh, those yeah. really, when I was like ten years old. I really, I mean, that's when I really started to fall in love with football. Uh, and I lived in Atlanta uh, a few years later when the you know the Dirty Bird years. It's funny to think about because they they really didn't have anybody. They had Jamal Anderson and like Jesse Tuggle. Scott Chandler was their quarterback. <laughs> I mean, they really. <laughs> That, don't talk about a team that overachieved. You know, the fact that they beat the Vikings is just, just a miracle. That team was hilarious. Oh, that was the uh, Viking team that was undefeated in the uh, Anderson, uh, Anderson. They weren't undefeated. Upright. I think they were 15-1. 15-1. Randall Cunningham was actually the quarterback. Uh, yeah, Randall Cunningham. Randall. And then they had Chris Carter, Randy Moss, Jake Reed. Jake Reed. And then people yeah. forget, one of the most underrated running backs of my lifetime. Is that Robert Smith? Yeah, yeah, uh, Robert, Robert Smith. Smith. People like never, never throw him in there. But I mean, in his prime, because he kind of left the game early. But in his prime, he was a very, very good running back. He was, he was hard a good to bring too. down. Wow, a very good announcer. I think overlooked about him was just one of the. If you would have to go back and make like, I'd have to make my top five running backs as after contact. You know, he wasn't a huge guy. Robert Smith was hard to bring down. When I look back at here, it was. Any videos of him, he just broke tackles left and right. He just, he was just very, very elusive. It wasn't just power. Just always had the leg churning, just had amazing balance. He was just very, very hard to bring down. Yeah, people, people forget about him. And it's really because, I mean, he was very, very underrated then. And now people don't even realize that he was like, uh, like he was a really excellent, uh, really excellent NFL running back. Oh, he was still a top. At a time where there was back. a lot of really, 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 really good running backs. This is Barry Sanders near the end of his career. This was when I think who the best running back. You know, Barry Sanders is probably the best running back in my lifetime. But in terms of just putting a player on a team and being able to do everything, really when Marshall Falk was emerging is uh, the best player in the NFL. Uh, so that's why people kind of forget about him here when you're comparing him, when you're putting him side by side with Marshall Falk, who was just, I mean, look at some of his stats. Yeah, I think he had 1,000 yards receiving one here. Yeah, he he was just absolutely amazing. I him and then uh, even that little brief run by Priest Holmes uh, uh, with the Chiefs. Oh uh, yeah, Priest was, Holmes was really. But cool. people remember Priest got a he broke the touchdown record, uh, and that's just a sweet name for a running back. <laughs> people knew about Priest Robert Smith, somebody that you know people people already forget about. And they have John Randall too. I mean, they had a. That's a shame because like, that was a very team, and that would have made for a much more competitive Super Bowl. Because Denver just outclassed Atlanta. Scott Chandler. Atlanta. Give me Scott Chandler. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, just used to love watching Jidal. The guy would, I think he wore eye black down to his elbows, I think, if the NFL would let like him. Braveheart. Every, every game was Braveheart to that dude. <laughs> I watched him on oh. pros versus shows, and he was not taking it easy on this poor guy. He was, he was ripping this guy's soul out. I don't know who signs up. He's been retired like three years, you know, not, not that long. He, he's, a, he's an absolute monster. I love reminiscing about the, those old, the old players. The players that you forget about. Oh, yeah, about we, we, we should end more shows like this. It's definitely uh, very good with the reminiscing, and uh, but a, a very, very good show. We'll have to throw uh, one or two of these throwbacks in per week, but for right now, again, the big thing is going to be that, that fourth round that's going to be out there, and uh, a lot of big games to look out for this week, so thank you very much, Zach. And uh, Thank you. Have a great week, everyone, and, and again, be sure to log on to the website, look at that uh, fourth round, and, and many – other good things coming for you on draftsite.com. Have a great week, everyone. Take it easy. Heaven must have sent you. Thank you.